Oh, praise God. I uh, consider it a great privilege to be able to stand in this place for this service this morning. I approach it with fear and trembling. Um, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And great is He. Nobody like Him. No one like Him. And uh, we're here because of Him. Um, Because of what He's done. Because of what He's doing. And um, I don't see Tim Caldwell. He shared with us last week. And I kind of like to bring a consistency um, when the Lord does that. And so I, I first want to remind those of you who were here last week that at least what I took away from Tim's message was the fact that we deal with apathy, complacency. Does anybody remember the third word? I couldn't think of it. I forget half of the sermons I preach, too. But uh, apathy, complacency, and he said that he challenged us to be expectant people. Expect fresh, new, great things from God to overcome that apathy and complacency. Anybody here struggle with apathy and complacency in your Christian walk? I do. I have my times, and they're far too frequent. Um, Before we go any further, though, can we pray again? Amen. Heavenly Father, who is like you? And that you would know our names and you would descend to dwell among us and dwell in us and meet with us at a time like this. As your children gather together, Lord, we need you to open our hearts and minds to hear what you want to speak to us today. Lord, I need you to crucify my flesh once again. And Lord, I pray I'll just be a conduit, a, a, a tool for you to minister to your people. And Lord, we rejoice in our great salvation. And I pray that when we walk out of here today, we'll be rejoicing all the more uh, and seeing you uh, more clearly and loving you more dearly uh, because of the time we spent together. So we present ourselves to you as living sacrifices. Once again, Lord, fill us. Do with us as you will, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, so Tim uh, brought up this issue of apathy, complacency, and, and uh, expectancy in the face of that. And then uh, Bob Caldwell came up at the end, and he, he said, where do you need a miracle? And uh, challenged us to believe God for a miracle that we see is necessary in our lives to happen. And, and I want you to know I say amen to all that. Um, and I had a conversation with Tim afterwards, and, and we talked about the topic, how do you define a miracle? What is a miracle? Um, I think the first thing that comes to my mind and maybe your mind is, Something you see that's out of the normal, right? Uh, somebody that's healed that shouldn't be healed, according to doctors. Uh, uh, all kinds of ways that we say that's a miracle. But is it bigger than that? Is, is a miracle 
I think by a biblical definition, yes, that's what a miracle is. But is that what we're longing for? We should be, yes. But I want to talk to you today about what we're longing for. We're longing to not be apathetic and complacent, right? We're, we're, we're longing um, to be expectant people. We're longing to see miracles. But I think we do need to think of what does God mean in the bigger picture by miracles and, and, and what we're longing for. So I'm taking the coin that Tim gave us last week and I'm flipping the same coin over and I'm going to look at it from a different angle. Does that make sense? Um, I think we need to be careful when we think about what we long for. We need to be careful about our expectations about God and make sure that it doesn't result in discontentment. Because if we long for something we don't receive, we can become discontented. And if we expect miracles from God, by our definition, if we expect God to move, even in a service like this, and it doesn't happen the way we want it to, the way we think God should do it, <laughs> we can become discontent, even with God Himself. Lord, where are you? How many times do we... Lord, where are you? We're longing for you to show up. Now, I know sometimes us old-timers, you know, we talk, well, I remember when, right? Um, and, and I say, amen. There's, there's a necessary longing. That we have to have, but we, we've got to be careful that longing does not drift over into a sinful discontentment with God. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me give you an example. They're, they're all over Scripture. The children of Israel in the wilderness. There they are. They've just come through an amazing, the greatest deliverance, this great picture of salvation. When God brought them out of Egypt, now they're in the wilderness. And, you know, who wants to be in the wilderness? But God took them there. And God was with them there. Can you imagine? I mean, always during the day, a pillar of smoke. God's glory is there visibly at night. The fire is in the smoke. The pillar of fire is there. God is so clear in his leadership for them. When that presence of God starts to move, pack up the tents. God's taking us somewhere else. I'd love to have that clear of guidance in my spiritual life. Um, they had food provided for them every day. They didn't have to go out and work for it. There it is. Their clothes never wore out. Their shoes never wore out. You would think... They would be a grateful people. But what did they do? They grumbled. They complained. They were not happy with God. They had an expectancy that was sinful. And God was not pleased with it. <laughs> that whole story of the, the, the discontent of the people of Israel in the wilderness is, is legendary. And it's there for our instruction. They had expectations that were not met, and they entered into sin because of the discontentment it produced. The people of Israel had God as their king. That's pretty awesome. 
Wouldn't we like to have God as our king right now? I mean, over, you know, he's going to be and he still is, but not fully yet. Right. We have presidents and princes and and we know all the trouble that comes with that. But he was their king. No problem with that. Right. Discontent came in. He was not enough for them. They were not content with the fact that God Almighty says, I am your king. You are my people. I'm still leading you. I'm protecting you. I'm fighting your battles. No, we want a king like the other people around us. We're not content with your setup, God. We want something more. Something different than what you have done. In the New Testament, Jesus had masses of people following him. Right? He fed them 4,000 one time, 5,000 one time. He did miracles constantly before their eyes. He healed them. He, he, he did incredible things. But the message of discipleship became too challenging for them. Remember, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, this guy's crazy. I'm out of here. Right? He looks at his disciples. Will you leave me too? And Peter brilliantly, spirit-ledly, said, where else can we go? Hallelujah. Where else can you go? There's one God, one place to be, and that's with him. Longing for more of him. Not the benefits and blessings. I want you to hear me carefully. I'm going to make a distinction between longing for God and longing for what he gives us. Right? Now, they do go together. (laughs) But the point I want to make today is embrace the benefits and the blessings. When they're pouring into your life. But all you want and all you need is Him. Amen? That's such an important thing for us to get a hold of. Are we longing for the giver Himself or for the benefits and gifts that He gives? How often do we become discontent with God? Because he doesn't do things we think he should. Or bring the miracle we think he should. Or move in the church the way we think he should. We so easily slip into that discontentment. And um, it's not good. We've got to be on guard against it. How can we know if we're longing for Jesus or longing For his benefits and blessings. How can we discern that? I I thought about that this week. And um, I think the the answer to that question is is to take this test as best as you can take it in your present circumstance. If I lose it all. If it all dries up. Will he still be my great treasure? Amen. Amen. If you can, as well as you know from your life experience, say, yes, your heart's in the right place. But you and I see all the time, and maybe we've battled with it ourselves. 
something happens. Something doesn't happen. And we say, where are you, Lord? Why, Lord? And we become discontent. It's because our heart is not in the right place. Because he is not all we need to be content and joyful. We've added on his benefits as a requirement to our contentment. And we can become apathetic and complacent in our view of God and therefore our walk with God and our worship of God because we're disappointed. He's not done what we thought he should. Two examples come to mind as I think of this. Job. Is Job a mind-blowing... I mean, that whole book is just... (laughs) Though he slay me, he just lost everything. Except his backslidden wife. Uh, (laughs) And he said, Lord, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. That's a man... Who longs for God and God alone. Nothing else matters. He knows if he has God, he's got all he has to have. The Apostle Paul, on my tombstone, if I die before you, uh, I wanted to say, for him to live was Christ, to die was gay. I love that verse, don't you? That's what Paul says. To live is Christ. Not to live is experiencing miracles. Seeing God do this. having To live is Christ. Okay? And to die is what? Gain. That's crazy talk. (laughs) That's the heart of somebody who knows their God and is complete... In their knowledge of him. Are you with me? Um, I would like you to look. And it should be up on the screen. At Ephesians chapter 3. This is one of the wonderful New Testament prayers of the Apostle Paul. That we have a record of. And I love this one. To me it's a prayer. That Paul is praying for the saints. About their passion. To know Him. That's what we're talking about. Our passion to know Him and be content in Him. It says, starting at verse 14, and I've got the ESV. And what trend, is this New American Standard or what did we decide on? In our system back there, we can't get the ESV, which is what I always preach from. But it should be close. It's all the Word of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Wow. Amen. That's a great prayer. According to the riches of his glory. That's a great statement. It's unbelievably wealth, wealth of glory that he has for us. And Paul is saying that God would grant it to us that we'd be strengthened by that power. And they says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, that's not talking about accepting Christ by faith so Jesus lives in you. It's really talking about 
that spirit in your inner being ruling and reigning in your heart. That Christ would, would take over your heart, okay? That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have, and this is what I really want you to see in my translation, may have strength to comprehend. What does it say up here? Yeah, before, okay, we've moved past this one, okay. May have the strength to comprehend. Is that what it says? Yes, comprehend. I love that word. To comprehend the breadth, the width, the height, the depth, the length of this love of God. And know the love of Christ. Listen to this. Know the love of Christ that surpasses what? All knowledge. What did he just say? He's saying, I want you to know something you can't know. That's what he's saying. It's too big for you to ever know it, but I want you to know how much you can't know it. And Paul's praying this for them. And what is that love of God? It's bigger than just Jesus has his arms around us and he'll never leave us or forsake us. It's, It's the gospel. How did he love us? He loved us with the gospel. The greatest story ever told. And he's saying, I want you to understand that. I want you to comprehend that. That's all you need to be consumed by. How do we nurture a life-changing vision of the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ? A vision... Of him that will defeat all apathy and complacency in our lives. All discontent in our lives. I think the way that happens is to be consumed with a vision of Jesus. This to comprehend the depths of the riches of who he is. Not what he does as much as who he is. And when we are in love with who he is... All that blessing and benefit pours over us and into us and through us. And, but that cannot be what we're longing for. We long for Him. And He does the rest. Hebrews 12. I don't think I gave you this scripture. But Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Uh, that's where it says... Therefore, since you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking, or other translations say fixing, your eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Hallelujah. But, but there's so much here, but he says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Not your circumstances, not what you have, not what you don't have, not unmet expectations of your own. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And in... And, 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 uh, a chapter back in 11, talking about faith. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. The giver, not the gifts. Seek him and then he will reward you. So I'd like to just walk through with you a little of the glory. We're just going to taste some of the glory. You know these tasty morsels. But the problem we have is we don't chew on them very much. We don't eat them. We don't sit with them and savor them. Don and I are going to Cuba in January. Yes, we love Cuba, but we, we love the people. But what I love most of all is cafe con leche. And we come out of our room in the morning and the, the pastor and his wife that host us have waiting for us each a little tasa, one of the little bitty cups of cafe, straight up, black, Cuban, it's not black. It's no, no con leche, it's just very sweet. Cubano, cafe cubano, muy dulce. And we put it to our lips and go, ah, it is glorious. Not this kind of glory, but earthly glory. Great earthly glory. And, and we, we're trying to savor it. And Cubans don't do that. They go, first a little taste and boom, toss it back. When they bring you coffee, they're standing there with the tray waiting for you to put the empty cup back on it like that. And Don and I, we're trying to get used to that. I mean, this is too good to toss back. And they even gave us a little timer. Uh, for drinking Cuban coffee. It's a six-second timer. You know, the little hourglass with the sand on. So, and you turn it over and they say, you learn to drink it before that last grain of sand goes through there. My point is, these morsels, we, we, we treat them like a cup of Cuban coffee. We've got to meditate and turn it over and chew it like a cow with the cud and all that. huh? So... Just walk with me. How do we fix our eyes on Jesus? Where do we begin? What, what does that look like? And when you read things in the Bible, ask those questions. Don't just read say, what does this mean? What does this look like? What does God want it to look like in my life? What does it look like in my life? So, how do I fix my eyes on Jesus? Where do I see him? What's the first answer that comes to your mind? Where do you see Jesus? Okay, you're, you're ahead of me. We're going to go there. But how do you know about creation? How do you know anything about Jesus? Thank you. If you don't love this word, you don't love Jesus. If you're not in this word, you don't really want to see Jesus because this is where we get our clearest glimpse of this unsearchable glory. Amen? And, and because of that, we know that now, here we go. He's sovereign king of the universe. A lot of times, if I ask you, think about Jesus. What, what picture comes in your mind? Think about Jesus. Do you see a man on a cross? Do you see a guy walking down the road teaching disciples? A man with children on his knees. Uh, probably most of our thoughts about Jesus have something to do with 
what we know about him in the Gospels, right? His earthly walk. And that's fine. But I want to remind you, you need to expand that vision. That's when he was the lamb that came to be slain for the sins of the world. He's now a lion. Amen? He was the lamb. Now he's the lion. If he were to walk in this room now, we wouldn't say, hey, Jesus. (laughs) We would be on our faces, just like the disciples were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Amen? This is whom we have to do, with whom we have to do. This king of glory. Chew on it. Savor it. And he is, as king, creator and sustainer of everything that is. Mind-blowing. Savor it. I'd like us to look, I think we have this one to go up. I love this. Colossians chapter 1. There are a number of descriptions similar to this in the scriptures and revelation there is, but I just love this Colossians chapter 1. Let's, let's savor this. Starting at verse 15. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. I think the only God we'll actually ever really see is Jesus. The Father is spirit. And I don't know, in our new bodies, maybe our eyes can see spirit. But Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I'm sorry, I'm chasing rabbits. Listen. For by him, all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. This is the lion. This is the king. And he is... No, I missed this. And all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. Means he's preeminent. And in him all things hold together. Did you hear that? He didn't just create everything. It's holding together because he is king and creator and is alive. That's the only reason. If he ceased to exist, bam, everything's gone. Do we understand that? And he is the head of the body, the church. Ah, now we're in the story. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Man, that's good stuff. Savor it. It's a big cup of Cuban coffee. That's, and we could go on and on, those are attributes. But because that's who he is, there's benefits. He made peace by the blood of his cross. Let's talk about that gospel of love. That Paul prayed we could really comprehend, even though we can't comprehend it. Let's start at the beginning. I'm alive. 
I'm alive. If you are in, all these things are prefaced with in Christ. Most important prepositional phrase in the whole New Testament, in Christ. I am alive in Christ. I was, I was dead. I mean, this was us. I couldn't think, I couldn't speak, I couldn't move. And I heard a voice. Come out, Billy Hires. And I was made alive. Is that a miracle? (laughs) It's a miracle. It's a miracle we already have. It's a miracle that we should glory in. I was dead. Without hope in this world. And now I'm alive. We could spend all the rest of the day on that. But because he's alive... And made me alive. He, that life is His life in me. God lives in me and in you. <sighs> Savor it. What? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? You're not your own. You've been bought for the price of Him. The one, the king, he's done it. He's made you alive and now he's in you. Complacency, where can it be in a life like that? God is in me. And I was blind, but now I see. In Christ, I see. This one gets me. In a wor- this world we're living in. Where is truth? Truth is dead in the streets, is it not? But not for you and me. We know what is true. We know the one who is true. I can see what is true. I was blind, but now I see. A miracle. What a great miracle. I can get up every morning and I know what's going on. As much as I can comprehend it. Because I know the truth. And I can walk in the light of that truth. I was lame. I could only stumble through life because all was darkness. But when my eyes were opened to see, the light of that truth became a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And now I know how to not only see what is true, but I can walk in that truth because the Spirit of God lives in me. And so I can go through this life led by His Spirit, savoring the riches of His glory and grace that is mine in this loving gospel and comprehend it more and more and long for that more and more. I'm royalty. I mean, folks, all these British... Monarchs, they got nothing on us. Nothing. We should be on the front of the tabloids. Look, we're the true royalty in this world. Because our father is the king. I'm not condemned. Wow. There's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
I still believe hell is real. Um, not that many people do anymore, and I understand why. It's probably the most difficult doctrine in all of Christianity. But you know that Jesus talked about it a whole lot. The king of love, grace, and mercy. Don't think of hell without thinking of the cross. You don't have to go there. (laughs) Go to the cross. Don't go to hell. And if we think hell is too severe a punishment, and we probably, I mean, I don't think we can comprehend all of that now, this side. But when we get to the other side and we see this king and we see the depth of our doing this to him, we'll understand hell. It will be just. We can't comprehend the justice of it now, but we will then. And I'm delivered from that. In Christ, I'm not going to go there. It's glorious. Savor it. What a deliverance. I have an inheritance. An inheritance. Oh, the the conflict in this world for people who want an inheritance. They fight with their their siblings over inheritance. They, They spend their money at the lottery for... We have won the lottery. Every one of us has won the greatest lottery, if you will, because our father owns it all. And not only does he own it now, he has prepared a place for us. And that place, I don't like to think of it as golden streets and a house he's built for me. The place is to be where he is. He's prepared us for it so we can be in it with him. I don't know the verse that says he died on the cross as a paraphrase to bring us to God. He died on the cross to bring us to God, to himself. That's it. What more do we need? It's him, him, him. It's all about him. He's all we need. He's everything. And he's our inheritance. There's no way of ever searching out this glory. In these bodies, in this life, to understand the depth and breadth and width and height and length of this glory. But Paul's prayer for you and I is that that is what we should run after. That is what we should long for. That vision of the love of God in Christ Jesus, not only for the work he's done, all those things I just listed, but for him alone. The goal is ever and always to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who endured the cross for the joy set before him. Now, I'm really going to throw in an extra mini sermon and I'm almost. No, I'm not almost done. I'll be done soon. Uh, I'm going to throw in a mini sermon for free. (laughs) Because. Where we are right now is what I believe we long for to be mature Christians. And having this vision of Jesus is what is going to be absolutely necessary for you and me if we're going to survive what lies ahead. 
I never claim to be a prophet, and I'm not going to put this in prophetic terms. I'm just going to tell you what I think and what I think the New Testament teaches. We need to be in the place Job was. If we lose everything, even our lives, and that's a requirement of a disciple, (laughs) unless you hate everything in your life, even the closest people to you, even your own life, more, if you love them more than me, you're not worthy of me. Whoa. But what I'm getting at is, he's got to be all we need. Because I believe... We've got hard times ahead. I don't personally bear witness with those who say, ah, you know, this is the year of that. This is the year of victory. How about this is the year of dying to self? (laughs) How about this is the year of of um, of being perfected in the furnace? I don't like that. But that's who God is. Now, I'm saying this because. I don't know if you see what's going around you the way I see it. But if you're going to stand in this truth, the heat's going to get turned up on you and me. It's happening now. Don and I, in our travels, you know, I was having a a discussion with Bob before the service. Uh, You know, what kind of persecution have you and I experienced here? Maybe rejection. Some of us may lose our jobs because of reading our Bible at work or sharing the faith with somebody. You know, we have those kinds of things, and that's getting more and more prevalent. But, you know, Don and I, and maybe you, have had the privilege of sitting with fellow believers who have been in prison, who have lost much, who have suffered for their faith. And I just take every opportunity I can to... Set before God's children the fact that we need to be ready for whatever comes our way. In our American Christianity, sometimes I think we get this mindset that that's not for us. That can't happen to us. After all, the rapture is going to happen. I don't want to step on toes. You know what I love about this church? We understand that we can love each other and we can be family and we can worship together even if we don't have exactly the same doctrine on everything. Amen? That's the way the church should be. And for all of you who believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, I pray you're right. And, and on the way up, you look at me and say, I told you so. But I'd rather... <clears throat> Expect something more difficult and be pleasantly surprised (laughs) than think I'm never going to have to suffer uh, and then find myself in the midst of suffering and say, where are you, Lord? I'm discontent. Where are you? What happened? No, he told us. If anyone would live godly in Christ Jesus, he will suffer persecution. Not why, might, or may. He will. And let's always, always, always keep the cross central. If our Savior, our King, suffered, who are we not to? And read your New Testament. It's everywhere. Everywhere. God's people 
are sheep among wolves. Amen? What do wolves do to sheep? They chew them up. I'm going to leave you with two scriptures and you can chew on that. But I, I'm saying, I hope you get my connection here, we've got to be people who have Jesus as all we have to have. And then it doesn't matter what happens. We're good. Amen? We can be the testimony we need to be. Matthew chapter 5. Sermon on the Mount. This is in Luke as well, but we'll just... Look at it quickly from Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. Blessed. Blessed means blessed, happy, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Because you live by the guidelines of the king. For righteousness' sake... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Chew on it. Sip on it. Savor it. And he doubles down on it. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For you, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. Why would you be surprised? Jesus suffered. Everybody who went before you suffered. Who are you? You think I'll be raptured out? Well, that'd be great, Lord, but <laughs> who am I? I just want to be somebody that loves Jesus. He knows what I need. He knows how he wants my life to glorify him. One more. Book of Acts. And there are so many examples of this, but the book of Acts, that's the way that the disciples lived as you read through Acts. And theirs is now the kingdom of heaven. Acts chapter 5, starting at verse 40. This is when these guys have been called in for preaching about Jesus. Uh, I think they'd already been beaten once, but it says, uh, uh, verse 40. And when they had called in the apostles, this is the Pharisees and Sadducees and all those people. Uh, they called them back in after they'd had a meeting. They called them in and they beat them. Let's just beat on these guys a little bit. We're going to let them loose, but... We're going to show them. They need to shut their mouths. So beat on them a little bit. And charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Isn't that what the culture says to us? Don't talk about him. He's got no place in our culture. Did you read the article that the courts in England just made a declaration saying that, uh, I'm taking this off the top of my head, but... The Bible is not consistent with an understanding of human dignity. Look it up. This happened. The Bible is not consistent with human dignity. Where do we find anything about human dignity but in the Bible? Amen? 41. 
Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Jesus is the King, the Christ, Lord. They can't shut us up. Don't let them shut you up. Hard times are coming, I think. No reason why they shouldn't. Have you checked out what our country looks like lately? Should we be under judgment? Of course. But we know the truth. We are the royalty. We are the proclaimers. We are the ones that have to stand strong no matter what and faithfully proclaim him. Amen? Because... He's the one we have, and he's all we need. Everything you have can be gone in an instant. But Jesus is always and ever yours, and you are forever his. So don't grumble, don't fret over what you do have that you don't want, what you don't have that you do want, what you can't see that you want to see, except him. If you belong to you to him, you have everything you will ever need. If you don't belong to him, you really don't have anything. And if you are convicted by the Spirit of the Lord this morning, and you say, I'm not in Christ, I don't have him. You don't have anything that will last. And I would beg of you. Um, there's going to be people, I think, over here that can pray with you. Go over there and talk to them about how you can become a person who is in Christ and be possessed by this King and have Him as your greatest possession. Amen. Father, thank You for Your Word. Lord, it always challenges us. And Lord, what You put in my heart, it's just simple. Lord, Make us people who love you as our greatest treasure. And don't ever let us be discontent because we want something more than you. There is nothing more than you. So, Lord, again, we ask you to fill us with that indwelling spirit, your presence in us, and help us, as Paul prayed, begin to comprehend, even today, greater depths, longing for more and more of a comprehension of the depth and the height and the width and the length of this unsearchable, glorious gospel, which is all about you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen.